I directed the pilot of Ginny and Georgia, which is mm-hmm. a very popular show on Netflix. And I was really happy to do it because it was about a mixed race girl in a small town, which was like my origin story. So I really enjoyed doing the pilot. I think it mirrors kind of mm-hmm. a feature, which having just done that as well, I really enjoyed like being being really, really involved in all creative aspects of the show, which I think... You know, as a journeyman director, you don't always get. You plop in, shit's right. already established. You, you know, infuse a little bit of your flavor and mm-hmm. then you're out. Mm-hmm. But right. like when you're creating something, it's, I feel like so much more satisfying because you, you're leaving a lasting mark. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Visit PeteChapman.com to get your official podcast merch. Hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag. And learn more about your host. All right, what's up, people? Welcome to episode 54 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring Anya Adams. That's right. We're going to get right to it. Nice and quick. Of course, though, we've got to do a little bit of an update on the goings on before I tell you a little bit more about our prestigious director guest. But yeah, so I'm recording this on Tuesday, October 24th. What is going on in the world? I I believe today AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA are getting back to the table. There was a walkaway, apparently, from the AMPTP about two weeks ago over a per subscriber tax, as they call it, that the streamers are not interested in agreeing to. Hopefully, um, we'll wrap this thing up soon. I do, and I do think I've heard varying ideas about when this will wrap up. Some say before Halloween, some say by Thanksgiving. Who knows? The thing that I I continue to think about, though, are the hourly employees, the folks in the the different unions, IATSE, the folks who were, you know, really, really dependent on on this work. And, you know, five months of, of work vanishing is incredibly impactful and not everybody is in a position to to weather that storm. So I do hope that when we do return to work, A, many of those folks are able to, they haven't had to depart their creative dreams to survive, although I know that survival will be of utmost importance. And then I also hope that when those unions come up and have their contract negotiations, I think IATSE will have one in in the next year. You know, people support whatever their needs are because it's super impactful. So uh, that's the that's the little bit of a strike update. And I'm really brief with that because nobody knows what the hell is going on because none of us are in the room and we're in no position to give you any informed uh, information. So it's all, you know, hearsay and, and thoughts and hypothetical stuff. So there's that. In the world of being a director in the middle of a strike in the last week, 
what's been going on. I went to a session on the volume in Glendale at Fuse to go check out how the volume works. So these are the stages that are all, you know, high resolution LED screens that can do a 360 if need be, but often are 270 degree with information that's either digitally created or captured photographically digitally and then is presented on the screens and you can through it's funny there's a term I, and I, I feel like I'm probably going to forget it but I think it's called the, the frustum or the something like that somebody out there correct me but yeah basically the space is wired so wherever the camera is moving the background is only going to upres to full I think 4K based off of where the camera's moving, what the lens specification is, and what is going to be behind the talent. And so it's like this constantly moving target, so to speak, of high-res digital information that allows you to have the utmost control over whatever you're doing. So, you know, what you see a lot of times in like a lot of these Star Wars shows, at least initially, has been the ability to have like magic hour for a whole episode and you don't have to shoot two hours a day. You can shoot as long as you want and then you just set your settings to magic hour and you just keep going. A lot of car driving has been captured this way as of late. And I think that's like the first thing that really kind of caught anchor and, and a lot of shows use it and in differing budget levels. But anyhow, that's called, you know, career development and, 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 upping my skills because I know that it's just a part of the work now and there are shows that I want to direct that employ these tools and so I want to be well versed in it. I've also had a couple more meetings, a really interesting one on Friday that hopefully I can report back on sometime soon or in 2024, but for a show that shoots in London, half hour comedy on a streamer. And so I guess, you know, that's Indicative of the faith that people have behind the scenes in wrapping up this strike soon. So other than that, it's working on this script, trying to turn the corner, get out of act two, go back and polish, do those dialogue polishes that make sure all the characters really sound distinct and unique. And we'll get that out and see if I can't get back into the feature world with my co-writer, Candace Sanchez McFarlane. So that's a brief update, y'all. Let's get to it. I know y'all want to get to the interview and hear what's going on with our guest, Anya Adams. A brief, brief introduction. She's a Canadian-American director best known for The Mayor, Blackish, Ginny and Georgia, Yellow Jackets, and more. She made her feature film directorial debut with Prom Pact in 2023. And I think at this very moment, she may be in Canada where she's up for a DGC, the Directors Guild of Canada Award for that feature film, Prom Pact. She started as a DGA trainee on shows like Providence and Boomtown and The Practice, moved to second AD on CSI Miami, Scrubs as a second second. Community, she did four episodes on that show. Desperate Housewives, she was up to a first AD. And the time that our, our paths crossed which was 2017. She was an AD on Blackish. As you know, one episode preps, the other shoots concurrently. And I was 
shadowing Linda Mendoza. And as I went to the set to kind of see how things were going during Linda's prep, that's when I got to see Anya at work, meet her. And it's been amazing to watch her her run since then. So obviously there's Blackish, there's Fresh Off the Boat, Bless This Mess, Single Parents, Mr. Mayor's Always Extraordinary Playlist, The Expanse, A League of Their Own, Yellow Jacket. So we'll get into her journey. We'll learn more about what she's up to. And with that, let's get episode 54 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman rolling. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. So you're from Canada. What is yeah. what is it to be from Canada? <laughs> what is it to be from Canada? <laughs> I, Canadians are a little bit different than Americans, but both my parents are, are American, so I have a mixture of both. But having grow, uh, I grew up on Vancouver Island, which is a little island outside of Vancouver proper in in a town called Victoria, which is the capital of British Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm from. And I think Canadians are are in some ways similar to Americans, especially those of us that live along the border. I would say we're a, a little bit more passive aggressive than aggressive aggressive. <laughs> which is better? <laughs> well, actually, Honestly, which, I which prefer aggressive. I prefer prefer, uh, aggressive aggressive because then I know what you're what's going on. Passive aggressive. A lot of times you're like, wait, what did you just say? Right, right. Um, Why am I? Why am I wondering? Why do I see that inside? (laughs) Right, right. So, Um, so when you when you've gone to, uh, I'm assuming you've done many a show in Vancouver. I know you've done Yellow Jackets. Does it feel like you're going home? It's funny because I, when I was an assistant director, because I started out as an AD, I never got a job in Canada. I never got to work there. I started working in Canada when I was a director. So it does feel like I'm going home, but it's also super exciting because I've been doing, I don't know, uh, just directing is such a new, was a new thing for me. And it was so exciting to be able to bring it home. That was fun. So yeah, it it does feel like going home because my family is there, but I do love LA and where I live. <laughs> right. Well, you have one of the more illustrious careers and 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 I and I love the I love talking to folks who are able to pivot because a pivot in this industry is like a rebirth. You know what I mean? Like it's not just yeah. like a a lateral move. It's like forget everything you know about me and let me and give me the keys to like this whole other thing because everybody thinks only one person, one person can only be good at one thing. And so before we get to that, I'd just love to know like, what was your introduction to the power of story? And then beyond that, what made you want to get, like pursue a career in it and storytelling and entertainment? I would say my parents, my father's an artist, so the power of storytelling through visual medium has been a part of my life since I was a child. My dad does these incredible pieces of work that are so layered and have so many different kind of elements in them, all telling a story that connect to the larger image. I've always kind of responded to that and loved that. And my mother also was an artist, but she also really encouraged my brother and I to express ourselves through writing. So I remember as a young child, she like sat us down and 
has right children's stories. And, you know, I still have them in this book at, at home that's like, you know, crazy, you know, five-year-old writing that's nonsensical, right. but also like, you know, it's been captured and it's kind of lovely. So just, you know, having that as a young child. And then as I, you know, grew up, I, I was an avid reader. I love to read. I love to kind of immerse myself in different worlds that different books took me to. So it's always kind of been a joy of mine to, to immerse myself into a story. And so I never really, I never really thought that I would end up here. I, I went to school with the intention of being a psychologist. Where'd you go to school? I went to the university of Victoria. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I studied psychology there. And if it wasn't for this group called up with people that came halfway through my time there, I would have continued on that trajectory. But Up With People was an international students group. They traveled around the world for a year. They did a two-hour live show, and they stayed in host families. And just seeing that, I was like, I, I was so like enamored with performance and the camaraderie of all of these international students working together to make this show and 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 this community a better place. Like they came and really left an impact with me. So. I joined and I traveled and I traveled with them for quite a while. And as my time with them was coming to the end, to the end, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and, and jumping into film and television was really all that kept kind of, mm -hmm. I kept getting steered back to. And because I had been working in up with people as a production manager and a company manager, I thought in my head, the best transfer of my skills would be, to be an assistant director. So I applied for the DGA mm -hmm. training program. Now that's interesting. So, so did you, did you finish your studies or did you like, were you so enamored by what you experienced that you said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot out of school and go after this DGA training. I wanted to pivot, <laughs> mm -hmm. but my parents wouldn't let me. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them, they, you know, my, my dad's, um, you know, African-American from Philly and my mom is a doctor, um, you know, from New York. So both of them kind of, you know, grew up with this singular idea of how important schooling is. My father was a professor at university, mm -hmm. so there was no way I wasn't going to finish school. So yeah. I finished my psych degree which I'm glad I did. And then I traveled and then all of that stuff happened. So. Right. It's interesting though, yeah. when you think back to like, you know, what, you know, like my mom was the first in her family to, to go to college and obviously completed and she did undergrad and then she did grad school and all that stuff. And like, I, there's like a unique symbolism, I think in the community just for that milestone when it's been, yeah. when it had been deprived of, of, of us for so long. So I, I yeah. do get why it was such a, a tentpole in, in what parents were expecting and, and demanding of their kids. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Especially so, my dad, he was the first, he was one of the first, him and his brother to go to college. So it was just like, it was a non-starter. <laughs> yeah. While still being an artist, which is dope, yes. right? Like, like, I think that there's a, there's an interesting thing that, that, an awareness of the world also. And, and I would assume what you did in your, you, you said psychology, right? I would bet that that transferred immensely to your be, <laughs> beginnings of this career and, and, and what you do now. So, so you go into yeah. the DGA training program. 
Can you explain what that is for folks who might not know? Yeah, the DGA trainee program is a program for people that are outside of the industry um, who, I mean, actually, people that are inside of the industry are welcome to join to or to apply. But it really was something that was put in place to give people outside the industry an opportunity or a way in um, with some really good, strong training and experience. So it is a program that trains you to be an assistant director. They in no way say they are training directors. In fact, the kind of next level for an assistant director is a uh, a unit production manager and then line producer. So it's a lot more um, Mm -hmm. kind of structural money organization. Um, And so that's kind of the the feeder that the program's for. But the DJ training program brings in a, a set number of students and trains them to be second ADs and then puts them on sets. And um, you get kind of experience on different sets. You hopefully are within the program for about two years. And then mm-hmm. when you graduate, because you've hopped around to different sets, you've met different sets of assistant director groups. You have kind of a network because in this industry, it's really important to have a network and a group of working you know, comrades that you have that you can lean on. Um, right. So this program kind of sets that up for you. And then when you leave, you've worked on several shows, you have contacts, you can go out there and start working as a second AD and moving up to to first and so on. And that's kind and, of what I did. And in the program, are you, because I, I, I've known people that have done it. I've never really, I don't, I haven't, I never had an in-depth conversation about it. Is that where you're earning like days? Like, do, do you yes. have to earn a certain amount of days and that's happening through the program so then you can join the union or are you... Yes. Okay, so you're not unionized by getting selected into the program. You have to earn it by the amount of time you spend on set. Yeah, so so the DGA program, the DGA training program expects you to complete 400 days of, of work. Uh-huh. And and like each 50 day, so like day, day one to 50, you're paid like minimum wage. And uh-huh. day 50 to 100, <laughs> See if you're you paid. really want to do it. Yeah, exactly. You're paid like minimum wage plus like two dollars or whatever. Like it goes up very slowly. So by the end, you're making like two dollars more than minimum wage. But you, you know, you kind of paid commensurate to your experience. And that's Mm -hmm. based on these blocks of 50 days. And so, yeah, then once you finish the 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 actual bonus of this, this actual program is that you are then invited to join the Directors Guild of America. You got to pay for it. Yeah, of course. But you're invited to join, and it's a very valuable membership to have to be a part of the guild. It just opens up a lot of opportunities for you. If you're a PA in the industry and not a part of this, you have to complete a a certain number of days. I'm not sure what they are anymore. And then you have to, like, complete assistant director days outside of L.A. so that you can come back. It's a lot harder Mm. to kind of accumulate. Okay. And just looking at your your long resume here... You were you were able to do like film and TV, right? So you were able to like be a trainee on Boomtown, Providence, and the practice, but also on Daredevil. I was um, on Daredevil. So I was there when Ben and Jen met for the first time. I was there. Uh, I was running base camp. I saw it all. You saw you you knew it was gonna. You, you're like they're gonna, knew, they're gonna have something gonna break up for decades and get back together. I can just see it. <laughs> I could see it. All. <laughs> yeah, no, they the idea is they try to place you on different types of shows so you get mm-hmm. experience in different areas. 
my my one sadness is I was never placed on a multicam, which is something like I would have liked to have, have had an opportunity to work in as a trainee and really like learn. Right. Um, because coming from live entertainment, that's really close to my heart, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's never too late. Let's just no, say that. No, I'm, I'm still fighting the good fight. <laughs> so at that time, with that early exposure, were you developing an affinity toward directing? TV or film oh. more than the other? Oh, I mean, Daredevil was really hard. We yeah. shot three and a half weeks of nights, you know, mm. 6 p.m. start, 8 a.m. depart. You're going to work in traffic. You're going home Zombie. in traffic. I was like, yeah. this shit is awful. <laughs> yeah. And I was running base camp at that point. I was like newer. So while it was very star-studded and kind of mm -hmm. exciting that way, I, I do feel like as a trainee, I had more opportunity in television to kind of right. maneuver around a bit. What was something that you that you learned on that set? Because being in base camp is like, I mean, it's a job, but like Man, I imagine if you like the whatever you learned in your in your psychology studies was probably ready to be applied in dealing with all those personalities. Like what was what was one of the <laughs> major takeaways of like how do you succeed in that job? And maybe, you know, a brief overview of what what right. you're having to deal with in running base camp. Yeah, I mean, base camp's interesting. I really loved running base camp because it was like my own world. Essentially, you are the assistant director in that world. You're responsible for makeup, hair, wardrobe, and actors. And you're responsible for making sure they know what's happening on set and they understand what's happening for the day and they know what's going to happen for tomorrow. So you're basically this big communication kind of conduit to all of these mm -hmm. people and they rely on you for accurate information and um, the set also relies on you for accurate information. For example, like Pete's getting ready in the chair. Uh, he's going to take an extra 20 minutes because when he got here, he fell out of the trailer and he scratched his face <laughs> and now they got to right. cover it up and he's really pissed. So then you, you, you know, also you got to tell them there's an extra time. You want right. to tell the set like, oh, there's, you know. He's not he's in a great in, mood in a today. Mood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like basically communicating between, you know, both your your the sets, you know, eyes and ears, and your and your base camp's eyes and ears. You know, you you keep people comfortable. So like a lot of things that I remember having to do were like, you know, what does Michael Clark Duncan like to eat for breakfast? Let's have that mm -hmm. ready when he gets there, so it's just right. a smooth experience for him. Right. You know, are all the trailers open? Is they all the AC working? Are there, you know, all the script, the script for the day, we call those sides, are those sides yeah. in the trailer so the actors can look at what their lines are for the day? You know, are there things that need to happen before the actors need to go to set that I need to let right. them know? And when is a good time to let them know? It's, you know, right. it's just a lot, it's a lot of kind of politicking. And yes, you use psychology a lot, you know. The yeah. actors, you know, are have they have to arrive and then go and get ready in hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And if they spend too much time in their trailer and get into hair, makeup, and wardrobe late, then they're going to get out late and get to set late. And so set needs to know what's happening. Right. It's he funny. didn't want to step over right away. He was on a phone call. You know right. that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> As you talk about it, it like it it almost makes me 
recognize the correlations between like the hospitality industry, right? <laughs> because because think about it, right? Like when you when you stay at a at a at a at a hotel that appreciates hospitality, you like you start you go ah oh, okay yeah. you know. But when you go somewhere and you're like yo y'all out of coffee, yeah. But like <laughs> I, I remember because I re- I used to read a lot of business books and Danny Meyer who's like Union Square Group like Waverly. In no, is it Union Square Cafe? A bunch of different restaurants. I think Shake Shack also. But with his hotels, he would they would have this training and they would test people and they'd be like they'd send a person up to ask for directions and if you didn't walk them to where they were asking to go, like you, it was going to be a conversation later because sometimes you go somewhere and they're like, oh yeah, go down there and turn left and you know make a right. And it's like you're at Home Depot or something where. <laughs> You know, that's the worst yeah. service you can ever get in the world, in my opinion. But I digress. So the you you were kind of, I think you were you thought I was going there and I was I I was about to pivot there too. Like were you when were you starting to say, Okay, maybe I, I wanna maybe I could direct or maybe yeah. I should direct? Like was it was it a was it a drive or was it like a, a realization of like I've seen so much on these sets and I can do that? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a combination of that because I really like when I when I started thinking I can do this, I was on a show called The Mindy Project. I was the first Mm -hmm. AD there. She was giving people opportunity. And I was really struggling with like because I'd been doing the first AD job for so long at that point. I was like, where am I going to go next? Because I can't stay in this job. I, you know, I, I was very good at it, but it was just it wasn't my passion. The things that I loved about it, though, were the creative parts. Like, how do we how do we make this schedule work? I love that kind of mind, you know, yeah. exercise. And also, I loved working with background. How do we make this mm. scene look mm-hmm. and feel real so that when the actors step in, it's a right. it's a real living, breathing scene, and and we've added to it, you know, right? It's um, an art so, form. Yeah, it is. And those of us directors, you know, when you have an AD that's not able to set background or or is able to set background right. and you just see your scene come to life, it's it's yeah. wonderful. And, you know, so. you know, within within a nanosecond, if if they don't know how to set background, because it'll yeah. just, you'll just be like, why are they stacked like that? <laughs> or, or like, have they never been to a real party? Like, what exactly. are they doing? Like, why is everybody then, crossing and looking at their watches? Right, right. <laughs> or why are they spiking the camera? And then, and exactly. then now you've got that on your plate, right? Yeah. Now you've got a something you should never have had to think about is now something you're concerned yes. about, and it just speaks to the to the like collaborative assembly line nature of what we do, where it's like everybody's got to be one step ahead of of not the next person, but one step ahead of the needs of the of the project. You know yeah. what I mean? And if you're not, you know, you're going to find yourself maybe leaving the industry. <laughs> exactly. Well, and uh, that's the thing I feel I felt like as a as an AD, I became more and more interested in helping the director, you know, realize their vision. And mm-hmm. and that brought me closer and closer to camera and, and closer and closer to like their thought process. And so, like you're saying, the anticipation of what that mm-hmm. person needed. So watching a rehearsal and knowing it's going to take the camera two minutes to get ready. So I got to be ready in five because the actors will be here in 10 and I want right. to show, you know, do a rehearsal. So just knowing that 
I think it really helped me also now that I've transitioned to director, I know what I want in background. I'm very clear uh-huh. about that. And uh-huh. I and and it's a, it's important to me on my shows. And also I understand the cadence of of shooting and I think those yeah. of us that work in television, that's a very important skill to have is to understand your time is not, you know, infinite. Right. And you know, how do you push things along in a genteel but exciting and motivational way? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Diplomacy. So so that's te- that's roughly I, I'm going to say, what, maybe 13 or 14 years into the, you know, professional game when you're on Mindy, the Mindy Project? I Yeah, um, I got here in 2000. Mm-hmm. I got into the trainee program in 2000. And Mindy Project, yeah, I guess 2005 or six. Oh, okay, okay. I think I was an AD for five or six years and then, yeah. Got it. So that was that was a pretty... That seems like a kind of. I lied. I lied. 2012. I lied. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say that seems like a fast ascension. It wasn't that fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what was your next move? Because you were you were concerned about going somewhere where you felt you would be able to um, perhaps get an opportunity behind the camera, right? Yeah. I mean, I I was on Mindy. I was like starting to notice and notice what was happening. I there's a really wonderful man named Howard Klein who's Mindy Kaling's business partner, also works for Three Arts Entertainment and I befriended him and was like I had thought, "Oh, maybe I'll be a produ- like a producing director, a non Somebody, I'm not a producing director, like a non-writing producer, because I'm not a writer. But there are some Mm. creative producers on shows, and and that's what Howard does. And I I took him for a walk around the universe a lot. I was like, "What do you do? How do I do this?" Right. And it's it what seemed very difficult. And and the more and more I talked about it to him, the more I kind of realized that I wanted to take a stab at directing. I'd never, ever thought of myself as a director. I never, ever put myself in that position. But I also had seen Mindy giving all these opportunities. And so I just approached her and was like, hey, will you give me will you give me a chance? And she was like, I will give you a chance. What have you done? Uh (laughs) And I was like, I haven't done shit. So I'll do something. And during the course of thinking about what can I do, I was approached by a friend, Heidi McGowan, who was the UPM mm-hmm. on Blackish. And she was like, we really want you to come over. And I was like, cool, I'll come. Will you give me an opp- opportunity to, do- to direct? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe season two. <laughs> and I was like, cool, I'll come. I went there. I did a short while I was on Blackish with some of the actors from Blackish because they were awesome. And then, and then Lemonade, Kenny Bears correct? my first. Sorry? It's called Lemonade, right? Lemonade Mafia, Mafia Lem- yeah. Lemonade Mafia, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so with uh, Marseille, Marseille was in it. And, you know, just it was like a kind of mishmash of other actors I'd worked with. It was very, everyone was very helpful. It was only a six minute, you know, right. short. Right. But it was enough, you know. Well, I love, I, I hope to the dear listener, you know, <laughs> there's there's a huge takeaway. And I, and I always like do a little pit stop when things like this happen in the conversation, because like that. That that passion for what you wanted to do and that lack of ego to say, mm. you know what, you know, I've been in the industry for 15 years. I ain't going to make because I've heard that live and direct from people. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, they're telling you if you do something, they're going to give you something. And you're saying you don't have to do it. And it's like, you know, if you can put the pride aside 
and, and recognize where the pride might be coming from too. And then go and make something and have all the ammunition you need to be able to back up the thing that you say you want to do. You know, yeah. people, people respond to it because a lot of folks, you know, they say they want to do it and they don't want to put the time or the effort in. How much did that cost you if you're, if you're open to It cost me that? about, I would say like $18,000, which is ridiculous. So many people have done things with so much less, mm-hmm. but I, and I did a big like fundraiser mm-hmm. and it was like a lot. I would say, you know, I, one of the things I just wanted to pivot on what you were saying is I decided that I wanted to direct and I'd been working on Blackish for a little bit. And I obviously had been working in the industry for a while and I, and I told people what I wanted to do and people mm-hmm. w- were really willing to help. And I, and I will say this, I think when you let people know what you, what you want, and what you need, if they can help you, they will. It's right. just that you have to take the reins and lead it. You can't be like, I want to do a short film. <laughs> How do I do TV? it? You know, you have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like, yo, this is what I'm doing. It's on Saturday. I need a camera. Can I borrow yours? Right. No, but right. I know so-and-so, you know, that kind of thing. So and I was really blessed with like very strong support from people, but it, it cost us money, you know, food and wardrobe. And it was two days and, you know, do this you, little rental and that little thing. Do you think that your experience as an AD and what you knew would make people comfortable, maybe psychologically and also just from what they were used to, did that kind of govern your budget ballooning? Yeah, I mean, it was in, it was very important to feed people, uh-huh. which was very expensive. Parking, that kind yeah. of thing. You know, some of the rentals we got for free, like we we got the camera from Rob, our DP on Blackish. He hooked us up. But like we had two, I had two cameras. (laughs) I didn't know any better, you know, like honestly, because I had really had never like this was my kind of film school, which is kind of what I also thought about it. I was like, this is my film school, so I'm going to pay for it. But I also having worked, having come into the industry through the trainee program and then worked only on television shows that were DGA, you know, SAG on television shows on a movie, I was I saw two cameras always. Right. So I was like, I should have two cameras. I think like, you did you the right thing. Because even... otherwise you might have had another day, you know? Like, I know. It, it, it's like, like, like it all it all now, like evens out. I just I just, you know, that was my like lack of knowledge of the whole world. And like once I got the film out and was going to film like the film, you know, like South by I didn't go to South by Southwest, but like, you know, the all those different festivals programs and whatnot. Yeah. Festivals. Yeah. I met so many filmmakers that were so crafty with so little money. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay. I could have been better at that. Well, um, I mean, look, I, I, I did a short 12 minutes, 14 with credits. I mean, it, it ballooned to $30,000, you know? Um, but there's, but I, but there's also like, you, you kind of have, you know what you want to, communicate not only with the story, but just in the feel of it. Because if you're going to be trying to get jobs on a TV show, the shit kind of got to look like a scene from a TV show. You know what I mean? Like it's got to look commensurate with what the people you're asking to hire you are in the business of making. So 
Yeah. You know, it looks like it worked out. I think it worked out. It did. I mean, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you what was interesting is because I made this kind of, I mean, like Lemonade Mafia, two girls warring over a, a, a corner to sell lemonade. And it right. ends with like a younger girl in bed. She pulls the sheets back and there are heads, like stuffed heads of horses, kind of a la, you know, like. Godfather. Me, <laughs> the Godfather. Yeah. Uh-huh. And. You know, so it had like a little bit of dark undertones and I was trying to be a little cheeky with it. It wasn't all like, ah, uh, it was, you know, kind right. of, you know, a little silly, but it was all kids. So when people see that, they're like, they immediately were like, oh, you want to direct kids. So the one thing I would say mm. is like, do a short on what you want to do, because when people see that, they're very literal and go, oh, you want to do kid stuff. Right. So. You know, even though I got an episode of Blackish, the piece that I had done myself was Lemonade Mafia initially. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of the first projects that came my way were very kid centric. Interesting and accurate. Yeah. So was, did you direct in season three or four? I can't remember. Because <laughs> I know I, I think not. I think I know that I met you briefly when I was in the. Disney ABC program shadowing Linda Mendoza in season three. And then I directed my my first episode in season four. And I feel like I yeah, was gone by then. I feel I feel like you maybe you did maybe you directed in early in season four. Yeah. I, I feel yeah, I it's like season three or four, I can't quite remember. i I did two episodes of Black, I showed that one and the, the episode Juneteenth was my uh-huh. last episode as an AD. Wow. And that was a big yeah. one. It was a huge one. I'm really proud to, proud to have been a part of that. That was really cool. Yeah. With another yeah. guest of the show, Anton Cropper. Anton. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now you're, you've, got, you've got those two under the, well, not those two immediately. You got the one under the belt. Did you ever get a Mindy project app? No. So I never really went back to her. Okay. So what happened was I I got an episode. So right before I got an episode, I was trying to find like a program for myself. Like, do I do the Warner's Brother program? Do I do, you know, but all of those programs have you shadow. And as an AD, I felt like that's what I do every day. So I can figure that shit out myself. Right. And I actually did. I went to Vancouver and shadowed Anton Cropper on Zoo. Huh, I was okay. like, yo, can I come out? And I, and which was really interesting to me. And also because I know him, he was so right. generous with his time. Right. Um, but because I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't know what to do. So I found this program called We For She, which I don't know if it's still around. But okay. essentially what they were doing was in We For She directors, they bring in up and coming directors and partner them with working directors and then pitch them to studios and shows and say, look, this is a working director that has this is a new a new upcoming awesome director that has a working director behind them. They, right. That working director is willing to step in in any part of the process that you don't feel comfortable with this director accomplishing. Right. So if it's right. edit, if it's prep, if whatever. Right. So I got that. Linda Mendoza was my mentor. Yeah, she's um, great. She's amazing. And, and... 
Uh, and then Kenya gave me an episode of Blackish. It wasn't connected. It was I did the I did the short film. He saw mm-hmm. that he knew I wanted to direct. They gave me an opportunity. So I joined We For She. One of the women that had created We For She is named Katie McCaffrey. She now is an agent at Gersh. She mm-hmm. left the program and said, hey, do you want an agent? And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll take one. <laughs> she, she, yeah, I mean, it's crazy how I got her. So then, so I was rep, but I was rep really actually before I got the Blackish episode. And so that happened. And then I had every intention. So they gave me the episode and they were like, okay, and we're probably going to give you an episode next year. When you come back as an AD, you'll get an episode. But what happened was like literally the day we came back for the new season, a, a show approached me about directing. Right. I, I felt like I couldn't say no because right. that's what I wanted to do. So it was a right. show called Youth and Conscious Consequences for YouTube Red. So mm-hmm. I left Blackish and went and did that. And that's the, I mean, this is like, that's like one of those crossroad moments, right? Like there's, yes. the, there's the comfort of this, like career that you built at that point, you know, I don't know, 17 years of, of, of work, 17 years of relationships, 17 years of people probably having you on speed dial. And then there's this like one little fucking thing that, (laughs) you know, and we were like, damn, well, YouTube red. Okay. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever. I'm not, I'm not putting at it. No, it was $16,000 an episode, Pete. Yeah. So that you're in Utah, the, in in the bottom of the pay scale, in Utah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And and I mean, so it now, was insane. but you. But, have but to I was like, I don't care. I'm getting paid to do right what I want to do. It was right. hard because I had to leave Blackish, and they weren't happy with me leaving because because we were right. just starting our new season, and so you know they felt like I really broke a, a commitment and I think like that's also something people need to think about is like yeah you know how you because it really it that that decision while it was absolutely right for me mm-hmm. was detrimental for me in terms of relationships for a bit right right but isn't that life right it because is you gotta you gotta you gotta live you've got your path you've got yeah. The things that you know will make your heart sing and you yeah. can't be concerned about another person's music, you know, exactly. and, 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 and day in and day out, those moments may not ever come to pass. But when they do, you know, first off, we wouldn't be chatting now on this podcast. Right. Not like this is, you know, fucking tonight show or something, but like, but you know, still, but, no. but at the same time, like, and you would not be happy right now. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think that that's like the, the more most important part of it. So you've got that, you've got Blackish, you've got Youth in Consequence, you're going to Utah, you're ecstatic. And now, like, what are you feeling about this director career? Like, what's going through your mind in that moment as you're trying to carve out this new future for yourself? I mean, definitely, like, there's just so much I don't know. You know, I, the the woman that created direct the pilot, her name is Wendy Stansler. I think she's an excellent director, an excellent person. And it was and she kind of recommended me to the show. And I was so honored to be there. But like it was set in this beautiful high school. We it, it, it was shot like a TV show. We had, you know, reams of background, huge sets. Right. Um, and, you know, I. 
there was a day where we were shooting a scene where girls were playing cards around the table. And that was just so hard for me to like conceptualize, like, mm. you know, how much coverage do I need here? And like, mm -hmm. do I have to go over everyone's shoulder? And what are they saying? And is that, you know, what's important? Right. Like that kind of, uh, there was a lot of like anxiety because <laughs> I really wanted the episodes to be great. But right. it's also like- Oh, it sounds like, you know, did you do a block of two? I did too, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so you got $32,000. $32,000, <laughs> what? <laughs> so- but but those but those scenes are the biggest pitfalls. I I, I say that on on the show all the time. A dinner scene, you know, I've seen yeah. I've seen good directors dissolve into a puddle of mud over over a dinner scene. You know, um, it's hard. It's hard. It's so it it was very hard. And and you know, this is in a high school cafeteria, and people are coming, and we're looking up and down, and cards and blah, and you know, it was it. I learned a lot also because. Everyone was kind of young and and kind of, you know, very excited and game right. to try stuff because it was YouTube Red. So that was a great right. kind of starting point. And I honestly, you know, I did Blackish. I got this this show and I, I was like, I don't like I didn't know what was gonna happen afterwards. Right. Um, I knew that I that I loved comedy and that's kind of where I got my kind of feet. Um and I wanted to stay in that, but you know, all I knew was that I had these episodes. Now I just need, was relying on my agent to help me out. But honestly, with three episodes, two of which being YouTube Red, your agent's not right. going to be able to help you out much. It's right. so much of work you have to do. And and um, for that, I will say, again, I am I feel so blessed to have been an AD because I was able to make so many connections with people beforehand and those people all know my work ethic. So then to right. see that I'm directing, it's not a hard jump. If they right. know that I can handle the directing, they know who I am. And so then, you know, getting onto a set was was a little smoother, I think, than people that are coming from outside in. It's yeah. just harder. Just because you yeah. have great work doesn't mean you're a good person on set. It doesn't right. mean you understand television, you know, all of those other elements that I right. think people knew about me. So that was really helpful in my transition. Garrett McNamara, big wave surfer once in a while, but here I'm on Let's You with Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions. The reviews are in. Greg Berlanti says, there's a reason why everyone who works with Pete falls in love with his work. The lessons he imparts here are invaluable. Do yourself a favor and read it cover to cover. From Sarah Gamble. Pete's sharing gold nuggets that will spare you a ton of wasted time and help you channel your drive, talent, and ambition in the most productive way. And from Jesse Williams. This business has everything to do with preparation and expectations. Transitions grounds lessons in reality while empowering our artistry to run free not an easy balance to execute. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your mom and pop shops, people. Did you have a plan of like how to reintroduce yourself to your network as a director? Like, were you systematic about it? Or were you like mass emailing folks? Like, how did you change 
how people saw you so you could begin to move toward what you wanted to do? I, I mean, I definitely was, e- I, w- I was definitely emailing people and like sending out the short and when, you know, blackish air, like letting people know, but I mean, honestly, how I got my first five jobs happened when I was still an AD. I, you know, I got blackish because of Kenya Barris and I'm forever thankful to him for that. I got youth and consequences that came through my agent. It was a kind of weird thing. I did the interview. Good. Got that. Then the next opportunity I have was this TV show called The Mayor. And the guy that was producing, directing it was named James Griffith. And James mm-hmm. did the pilot and the second episode of Blackish. And I worked with him consistently whenever he came back to Blackish. And we created this really tight kind of friendship. And he, you know, I let him know I wanted to direct when I was still in AD. He knew that. Right, so when right. he got to the mayor, he said, I'm going to give you an episode. Amazing. Dope. While I was still on Blackish, I also worked with this amazing woman who I consider a mentor of mine. Her name is Christine Gernon. And she had done a lot of speechlesses and a lot of fresh off the boats. And she right. was like, you need to meet Melvin Marr. He's Mm -hmm. Jake Kasdan's producing partner, and he's the guy that's kind of the gatekeeper for the directors for those two shows. Right. So she, you know, with the help of my agent, but really she set that up. And I met with Melvin, and after our meeting, he was like, I'm going to give you an episode of Fresh Off the Boat and Speechless. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Uh, And so so my first year of directing, I did five episodes of television. But all of that kind of spurned from or came from when I was working as an AD, the groundwork I had there and the relationships I had with those people. And then, you know, being able to successfully accomplish Blackish and those other two episodes and show people I didn't fuck it up on location. So how did, how did you pivot to, to, and, and these are, I, 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 I pause because there's like words that like, are used to qualify like different types of shows. And I don't always subscribe to them because they sound, it's a very hierarchy kind of, yes. you know, yes. thing. But I, yes. if the question was going to come out like, what, like how did you pivot to the, the premium, premium stuff? Right. So like the premium stuff, the glow and, or even, even drama and stuff like the expanse and a league of their own. And, and then yellow jackets, you know, pretty recently, like, it's such a tough move to go into the one hour space and, and into the new genres. Like, how did that happen for you? Yeah, I. I OK, I say I say that. For me, I love comedy. My I, my thought process was I want to be known as a director who can direct the shit out of anything, not uh-huh. just a comedy director. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, and I, like you said earlier, a lot of us get pigeonholed and we allow ourselves to get pigeonholed. It's like good money. It's fun. It's easy to do shit, you know, you right. know, but I really wanted to expand my kind of horizons. I, li- and I like all kinds of storytelling like right. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. So working in that space was something I really wanted to do. In terms of making the pivot, I told, you know, my team like, "Hey guys, this is what I want to do." So we started kind of looking for shows that I could build upon that could mm-hmm. change, you know. 
So Glow was one of them because Glow's half hour. Right. It's considered a comedy, but it's so much more than a comedy. And the right. episode I got was so fucking awesome because it had great kind of culminations of these, you know, kind of long-standing situations between these characters coming to a head in this mm. camping experience. So I right. got beautiful landscape and then like really moving um, moments right. and stuff with the actors were really excited about. Right. I want that, right. that just, was that something that was attractive to Yellow Jackets? Like that particular show? Cause it sounds like there are maybe some thematic correlations. Why they like, why they hired me? Yeah. I mean, just like the way you explain it and, and, and how you, talk about what you had to grapple with or or the story you had to tell with the glow episode it kind of sounds yeah. like there's a little bit of a of a connectivity to connectivity you know, there. these these women in in the woods of you know <laughs> I Canada. never thought of that I never even thought of that before I don't know if people even look that far back on my resume anymore it is one of the shows I'm most proud of I just really loved it I, I don't know if they even looked at that that's right. an interesting thing. Right. I, it didn't really come up in my interview, if, if that's right. what you're asking. Nobody brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I will say this. As you move through as a director, you meet different camps, like you, Berlanti or whatever, right? Right, I, right. Working on Glow really connected with the Gen G vibe. Mm-hmm. So I did Glow. I did a show called Roar. I did American Princess. All of those kind of tethered to Genji in some way and the storytelling and the characters, you know, having that multi-layered, interesting kind of location and life. Right. So I really love working. I just recently did a show called the Decameron that's from her world too. That's, you know, 13th century Italy. (laughs) Exactly. And then let me tell you, I I know, I only know what Anya's up to because of Instagram. I'll just see, I'll be like, oh, she in Italy now. Okay, she's in Italy. That that looks nice. Oh, oh, she's doing a feature film. Okay, what else, what else is coming up? So, no, you stay working. I do, I do. What What is, there's a podcast I love called All the Smoke, and it's Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, and they talk about basketball. Um, and there's a question that they ask, which is like, you know, what was your welcome to the NBA moment, Right. And and often it's like, you know, it was the first time I guarded Michael Jordan and and he did some shit. And I was like, oh, he's fast. (laughs) You know what I mean? He dropped 45 points on me that night. Like, what is your or what are a couple like welcome to the director's chair moments for you where you realize like the realities of what is required of you in this job? I mean, a couple a couple things come up. Like when I when I was doing Charmed, the actresses on that show were not excited about being on the show. Mm. So welcome to an episode where you need to work with three people that don't want to be there and don't really like each other. How do you mm. make your way through this? Um, right. Uh, and I think all of us kind of experience that in different worlds. So that that was a. Uh, that was an eye opener because I fucking love this job. I love right, it. Right, right, And holy shit, I'm so lucky to do it. And holy shit, I'm shooting in Vancouver and my family's there and I'm shooting right. this weird like reboot. Cool, let's do yeah. it. 
And, you know, come up against energy where it's like, this fucking sucks or I don't want to be here or whatever. You have to, you know, it's welcome to the director's chair because you still got to do the shit. You still got to get the How'd you navigate it? I think one of the things I've learned is you, as much as possible, try not to take anything personally because there's (laughs) so much shit going on around you, even though it might come out at you usually has nothing to do with you. You're you're a visitor half the time on these sets, you know. They, right. There's just so much going on in that family, whether it's dysfunctional or not, you are just <laughs> popping in. Like you've said before, to make Thanksgiving dinner and yeah. you know, you don't know that Susan doesn't like cranberry berries. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. How do we get by? <laughs> How do we get right. through this? I will take the cranberries off. Do you need me to remake that it? Off your plate. Yeah. Oh, you I'll want a new plate? You want a new <laughs> plate? Here's a new plate. They were never yeah. here, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you want me to call Instagram? Whatever. I'd like, right. you just kind of figure out, you know, because ultimately everyone knows you have to make the sandwich. You have to right. make the sausage. It's just, right. you know, I try to keep it as positive as possible. And I'm not going to lie. There are definitely times where I'm not positive or I'm frustrated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, that's usually because special effects was supposed to get it right on the third try and we're fucking here 12 times right. later and it's still not working. Right. And you're like, when when is that smoke going to smoke? Right. <laughs> it's just um, supposed to pop out. Like, can they just all, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. What's been, what's been the most difficult, the most difficult scene for you to shoot? Ooh. The most difficult scene for me to shoot. Okay. It, I'm going to say it was glow. Okay. The girls are sitting around the fire. And this is, it's a moment between two of the characters. One character is talking about her, her Jewish family and what her Jewish ancestors had to go through. But throughout this episode, she's been very blind to her best friend in this show's issues who's Asian and so she's talking about something very very emotional and then her friend starts talking about something very very emotional and just like allowing these actresses to to connect to those moments and like bring them to the group while we're shooting outside at night like was very it was difficult it was like a beautiful amazing cathartic moment but it was also like it was like those moments where you're like, we have to get this right too, because we're speaking about people's real experiences, which the young women actually have been asked about their their lives experiences so they could infuse it into the script, which was really awesome. Right. But that was difficult. I mean, like, it was just difficult because it was like so emotional. And then, you know, you have nine other actresses that are just sitting listening, right? Right, right. A long time, you know, a lot of that. Uh, did that you, how did you... Was it two cameras, three cameras, you know? Two cameras. Um, two two cameras. cameras, yeah. So we shot some of it inside and some of it outside. I lied. Our DP was great, Chris, but he, he we, we created an interior that really felt real. And then we we shot some stuff outside. But like getting back to those moments was, you know, difficult too. Because, right. like, you know, and you have to split something like that up. It's, yeah. It's difficult. I'm trying to think of like what else was like. I mean, everything I do is hard because, a lot, you know, I did when I did the episode of The Expanse, 
I was rewatching some of my episodes because I have to show it for a group later. And I was like, what episode do you want to show? Right. I was right. rewatching The Expanse and it was like this gunfight. And like I have watched gunfights before, but I never right. shot one before. So like what's important in that is like you have to understand people's geography and, and where they are because everything's quick cuts. But you right. also need to be able to make it interesting. Yeah. Like right. that was really hard for me. I like, I'll put two people in a room. We can fucking talk all day. I love right. that. Right. 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 But, right. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know. It's interesting. Like the, the, I mean, yeah. Like when you get into those action scenes or into anything that's like, you know, a lot of moving parts and you really have to drill down into like, you know, how do I make the day? You yeah. know, how do I have pride in what I shot? And it's not yeah. just like, you know, a, a couple wides and some pans, you know, on a, yeah. on a tighter, you know, like, how do I like have a point of view on this? And like, yeah. you know, yeah, that, that stuff can, can. And also like the thing, this sequence that I had to shoot this gunfight, it was like a gunfight. And then these t- people walk into a container and they walk in there and there was one guy hiding in the back and he blows, he blows something up and then a big, a big box falls on this guy's arm and then eventually they uh-huh. have to cut his arm off. Like it was a Damn. whole thing where they had a, we had a prosthetic arm and we were like sawing and all those things. And, and when I watch the sequence now, I'm like, Oh, I want like, why didn't I go lower? Why, you know, right. like there's just, cause you're, you're driving through it. Even if you, even if you rehearsed it and you set cameras and stuff like that, when you get there on the day, you know, there's always something better you can do. And right. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah. That, there's always something to, to kick yourself for. And that, and that's cool. And people will tell you you shouldn't kick yourself about it, but you have I to, know. because that's how you, that's how you get better. Make sure you <laughs> get something, you know, get the, get that shot the next time. So then and I, I, now I'm having a little bit of COVID brain from when I had it two years ago. Did I ask you what episode you're most proud of? Oh, you didn't. I don't know, Pete. There which, are three episodes baby? I'm proud of. Okay, let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Definitely glow because I uh-huh. feel like that was the first time I was able to really show what I can do directorially mm. with character, but mm-hmm. also like scenically. Like for me, I'm really proud of that episode. There's an episode of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist that was a very mm. hard show for me to be on for a lot of different reasons, but. I did a very special episode of Zoe's, which was the black episode, <laughs> which is like, you know, there were some issues about blackness, which I'm really proud of how we explored them and the musical numbers that that paired with it and the issues we talked about. And that was during the heat of COVID. You know, right. we were in a bubble. It was really difficult. My DP got COVID in the middle of shooting and was literally DPing from her Tesla on a monitor, like, you know, telling people on the walkie what to do. Yeah. Um, it, it was like, you know, we had one of those days where like everybody went down and, you know, the third and fourth grip were pushing Dolly and it was really hard. But I'm just really proud of that episode just because of the messaging there and also the acting and just what everybody brought. Right. And then I would say, most recently my my yellow jackets episode because i just the the environment there with with the women and like especially the young the young girls they just 
they want to do a great job and they're so invested in their characters. Yeah. It was a pleasure to work with them and like create a real kind of spooky moment at the end and really get gory. Cause I have a, I have a very brutal kind of fight. It's not even a fight. It's just somebody beating the shit out of somebody else. But right. like that, capturing that and the girls and just that moment was really, I'm really proud of that. Right. No, those are all dope <laughs> moments. It, it's, yeah. it, is, it is a tough question though, right? Because you're like, there's yes. so many reasons as to why you would like a particular episode or scene over another. But, yeah. you know, the question always comes. <laughs> You'll it get does. it for the rest of your life. I'm so, so sure. what are you, you've accomplished so much. Like, what do you hope to do in, in the future? Are you looking to pivot in any way? to a different type of show, to pilots, to PDing, like what's, what's on your vision board right now? It's funny. I should mention that I also have directed a pilot. I directed the pilot of Ginny and Georgia, which is mm -hmm. a very popular show on Netflix. And I was really happy to do it because it was about a mixed race girl in a small town, which was like my origin story. So right. I'm also really proud of that. I really enjoyed doing the pilots. I think it mirrors kind of on a smaller scale or maybe grander scale, depending on what you're doing, mm -hmm. a feature, which having just done that as well, I really enjoyed marshalling the entire creative, like being, being really, really involved in all creative aspects of the show, which I think, you know, as a journeyman director, you don't always get, you plop in, shit's right. already established. You, you know, infuse a little bit of your flavor and then mm -hmm, you're out. Mm -hmm, but right. like when you're creating something, it's it's I feel like so much more satisfying because you you're leaving a lasting mark, you right. know. Right. So I am really looking forward to doing my, it's my intention to do more pilots for sure. And then I have a couple features I'm attached to. And just for people to know, just because you're attached to a feature don't mean it's going to get made right away. I have been attached for features for like four or five years and they're great stories. It's just one thing after another that kind of, you know, stalls them or so just know that once you, you know, making a feature is like Sisyphus, you're just pushing that rock up the hill. Right. For sure. So. Do you have any um, thoughts on what the industry will look like when we get back to work? Ooh. I think I honestly just am expecting chaos, you know, huh. like just a feeding frenzy of like, yeah, ah, um, we got to get going. I am hoping that like relationship wise yeah. between all the unions, it's everyone's OK. You know, I think, mm -hmm. you know, once everything's the dust settles, we all can work together to to do what we do because definitely there definitely definitely has feel, felt like there's been some animosity moving through this this yeah. hundreds of days this this um, so crazy I'm hoping time. that it's a little yeah it's really crazy and it's really unfortunate you know we had covid and now we have this and it's a lot of people are hurting and wanting to get back to work yeah 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 well we're rounding third here i have uh, a question i ask everyone which is okay what are three characteristics you think are needed to make it in this industry? I think that you need to be creative and that's on screen and off screen. Mm -hmm. I think you need to be like have stamina, meaning like resolve 
you need to be able to last a long time because mm -hmm. there are times when you won't work, but you know, it has to be your passion. You have to, you know, follow that drive. Right. Um, top three. I mean, there's so many things I think mm -hmm. you have to, <laughs> this may feel like superfluous, but a sense of humor, yeah. you need to just be able to, you know, a sense of humor in your work and sense of humor just in this space and how you flow through things. You need to be able to keep it light because yeah. shit can get dark. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> That's going to be my tagline on you. Shit can get dark. Keep it, keep it light because shit can get dark. Um, that's funny. You gotta know um, how to laugh, you know? Yeah. So, all right, this is the martini question here. Ooh. Uh, and I've selected this one for you. I, I, I've given this to others, but because you've done features, because you've done p a pilot, because you've done comedy and drama, I'm going to hit you with one of my favorite questions, which is, okay. in the story of your life, and when oh, someone boy. makes the story of your life, it's a multi-part question. What medium will it be? Could be TV, episodic, could be film. Who will direct it? Who will star in it? And what genre? This is hard. Okay. Hmm. I think I think in the vein of Zoe's and like a tongue-in-cheek way, I think it would be a musical dramedy. Okay. Okay. I like it. Episodic. I think, yes, a limited series. All right. Oh, it's one, in, it's one season. <laughs> one season. One and done. I like it. And then who would direct it? Who would direct it? I'd like to see Gina, Gina Prince Blythe would try her hand at something like this. Okay. Okay. And... Who would play me? Ay, ay, ay. I don't know. Oh, this is a hard one. Well, I don't know what her name is, but there's a girl on Foundation this season who's playing uh -huh. the upcoming wife, who's really a great actress. I like her like style and her look. So maybe her. All right. Well, there I don't is. know, Pete. That's a hard question. It goes in, you know, somebody threw it back to me and it, it stumped me too. So I was like, well, I'm going to keep stumping other people. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. No, I think, you know, once the doors open back up for production, this could be a pitch. Maybe it's a streaming play. I, you know what? You're right. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to start. I'm gonna, as soon as I hang up Rio and start writing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been awesome. I sincerely appreciate your time. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to, you know, make sure you throw out and, and the people can know or learn or look to check out? I mean, my most recent project, I just shot in Italy, which was very exciting about the 13th century. It's an upcoming show on Netflix called The Decameron. So yeah. I'm psyched about that because it was period. I've never done period before. I had a hard mm -hmm. course chase. I like all this crazy shit that I'd never done before. So that was fun to to do that. Coupled so with working with an Italian crew. Oh wow. Yeah. So. Well stay tuned for that. We'll we'll it'll it'll be coming to your screen soon. Do you have a date on that or we'll I think it's we'll next year. Next I year. I think it'll be okay. next year. Unless unless we don't go back to work, then they might pull it out. I know. I know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, thank you again, Anya. Been a pleasure right. uh, chatting and getting to know you a little bit more than I already did. Thanks, Pete. Happy to be here. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on IG via at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is produced and edited by the multi-talented cut creator Tristan Nash. Assistant produced by the young mogul Jada George and features the wonderfully gifted Kelly McCreary as our announcer. It's written by yours truly, but I mostly come up with these questions on the fly, which you've probably noticed. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is sponsored by Sweat Equity, so go ahead and get your podcast swag via PeteChapman.com and leave a review on iTunes if so inclined. That shit matters. All right, y'all. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with director Anya Adams. Next week, tune in to episode 55 with my man Eric Dean Seaton, an amazing director, uh, a, a writer, a comic book creator, uh, Renaissance man. So, uh, hailing from Ohio, we'll get into the conversation next week. And in the meantime, as always, I hope y'all stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.